Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, turn to the person beside you and say, um, you look fantastic this morning. <clears throat> Uh, that's enough encouragement when we're in church or something. Um, it's brilliant for me to be here. Um, with a name like Patrick Regan, I should be like coming to Ireland, right? And, uh, uh, but I, I often come about two or three times a year and uh, speak at various things. And uh, I'm always amazed at the Irish hospitality. I always go back to Stone heavier than when I came. And uh, so really, really grateful for you um, allowing me to share with you. And uh, um, in... in my job, I, I run a charity, just started it about a year ago um, after working and starting a previous charity for 22 years. I started a new charity that looks at um, providing safe and supportive spaces for those that are struggling with emotional and mental health challenges. And I always believe when speaking to try and be as honest and as real as possible. Is that okay? Uh, am I in good company? I'm not going to get kicked out. And uh, I, I wrote this book... Um, called Honesty Over Silence, and so I'm going to address a few of the themes in here this morning, and uh, we don't have many of these left. The first service brought so many, um, so there are, um, there's about 12, 15 left maybe, I don't know, but if you'd like a copy, I can send you one in the week. Um, it's just a bit like the gift aid thing. If you buy it from the author, and the money goes back into the charity, if you buy it from the bookshop, it often goes to the publisher. Weird, huh? Not many people say that out loud, but there you go. Um, but that's the way it tends to work. Um, but we just, everything goes into the charity. That's just what we do. I don't know about you, but my life feels a little bit like this. Can anyone relate to this slide? I have my plan, which is very cool and very smooth, and then I have reality. And I think what's happened in my life is that I've gone through different phases, and then occasionally I go through a phase where I just feel completely and utterly overwhelmed. I call it the Tetris effect. Do you remember Tetris? Um, these blocks fill out of sky. Suddenly something goes wrong. The kids get sick. Something happens at home. My own health deteriorates. Um, and there's pressure. Everyone's busy, and it just keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And I just feel like I just can't do it anymore, and eventually it's game over. Doesn't people just feel overwhelmed sometimes? And, uh, and I find that even, you know, I've got four kids. I find with kids, like, I just, it's the same with life. You can't control them. You can't control life. You can't really control your kids. I was in America, and uh, I was sitting around this coffee table with these, all, these well-known leader types, and we were discussing theology. And uh, my son, Daniel, came in, and he just literally opened the door and went, I've got an announcement to make. Not, Dad, could I say something? That would have been nice at that point. And then he just went like this, went, <clears throat> God is in my heart. <laughs> and all the other leaders did what some of you people just did, went, ah, and looked at me. And I must admit, there was a moment where I was like, well, you know. <laughs> it's all these... It just fell off. Oh, it fell off, great. Thanks, man. I might abandon this in a minute. Is that okay? Um, so basically, he went, God is in my heart. And uh, everyone looked at me, and I was like, well, you know, it's obviously all the Bible stories. I'm reading them every single night. And, and, uh, and then he went, <clears throat> along with Spider-Man and Batman. <laughs> and the leader of YWAM Bangladesh went, 
who's the strongest on that day? And I could see he was really thinking about this. He went, I'm not sure. I think Spider-Man. So that night I was putting him to bed, reading him Bible stories. And, uh, and I was like, mate, if any Christian leader asks ever again, God's always the strongest, right? God's always, God and Jesus are always the right answer. And he's like, but God can't spin webs. I'm like, he can spin webs. Of course he can spin webs. He's God. But I can't control what my kids say. I can't often control what happens in life. I want to look at this passage now where I just sort of feel like it's a word for the church at the moment. And uh, it seems to be coming up everywhere that I go. It's Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19. It says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And you see, the context of this passage is that the people of God, they're in exile, aren't they? They're in Babylon. They're in this really dark, lonely, anxious, disorientating place. Do you ever feel like you're in a little bit of a place that feels a little bit, I'm not quite sure what's going to go on at the moment, it feels a little bit disorientating and it's a little bit confusing. Does that describe our sort of society at the moment? We're not quite sure what's going on. And, uh, and of course, the book of Lamentations is, is telling the story of the people in, in exile. It says that they felt orphaned and abandoned and vulnerable. And, uh, and yet they knew that God had done this great stuff in the past. And yet here they are at a really bleak time in their history. And God says, through the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something new. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be a bit like, you know, oh, in the good old days when we were doing this, the church was really thriving and this was going on. And you can look back to those days equally. And uh, we can look back to some of the pain that's been in our past and our history. And both things we can let define our future. God is saying, you know what? Forget the former things. Don't forget them as like you completely erase it, but there's this sense of, I'm doing something new. Look, watch, perceive. Um, I um, lived in Peckham for 25 years in the inner city of London. It's the only place where um, I've been where you can buy half a goat and a mobile phone in the same shop. It's fantastic. And uh, I tried to get a discount, but then one night. And... Uh, but the interesting thing is, is now I've moved to the countryside. Um, last year, I was watching the farmers. They harvest all the fields three months early. And they go and they watch. They watch the weather. They watch what the ground's doing. You know, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32 says this, The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I sort of praying that the churches in Ireland will understand the times and know what they need to do. Understand, think, grapple with. And... Uh, and so as I started thinking about this forgetting um, and, uh, and, uh, and leaving things behind, I, I, I sort of came to a point in my Christian life, I guess I just felt a little bit unsatisfied. I just felt like I really needed a bit more authenticity. And, um, and I started to write this book, Honesty Over Silence, and the, the tagline says, it's okay not to be okay. And I was thinking, you know, what do I need to let go of in order to give myself to? I was sharing with uh, this morning's guys, I want to teach you something really useful for Ireland. It's how to trap a monkey. And, because uh, I'm sure it'll come in handy. Um, basically, to trap a monkey, what you do is you get a coconut, um, you put a hole in the coconut, you tie the coconut to a tree, you put food in the coconut, stupid monkey comes along, and it puts its hand in the coconut, and it grabs the food. And then the hunter comes along, and you would think, at this point, the monkey would go, time to go, let go, let's go. But when the monkey sees the hunter, 
it starts struggling even more just to try and get. It won't let go. And the hunter grabs up the monkey and it's trapped. Stupid monkey! We would never do anything like that, would we? What do we need to let go of in order to be free? And so I wanted to look at a couple of those things. The first thing I put here is letting go of the false smile. And it's okay not to be okay. Uh, as I was saying, I, I ran this big charity, and um, I must have been about two or three years ago now, is we had a visit from the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. They came twice in a year, and they've never visited a charity twice in a year. And we actually got on quite well, apart from William being an Aston Villa fan. You know, it was a good banter. And, uh, and I remember there was this point where um, we came out of the church that was where our office was, and we looked out, and there were just seasoned photographers everywhere. I mean, literally, there was probably as many people here, but with a, with a, photog- with a camera flashing at us. And I turned to the Duchess, and I went, I have no idea how you do this. And, uh, and that night, you know, the photos go around the world. It's quite incredible. They went to OK Magazine, Hello Magazine. They went to all these different places. They were on the papers. It was on the 6 o'clock news. And I guess anyone looking from a distance must have thought, wow, Patrick's doing really well. I went home that night. I was scared, anxious, depressed. I was waiting for a big operation on my legs that was going to take me a year to recover from. And I thought, you know, how often do we just see the showreel, the Facebook page? Everything's fine, thank you very much. How often are we really real and honest? And I thought, to be honest, I was like, I'm bored, I'm bored of this. I want honesty and integrity and authenticity. I'm bored of the show. And I want something different. I need to let go of the pretend smile. And, uh, and I guess um, it, when I was in that place, I got incredibly low and uh, I was really struggling with anxiety and, and I was struggling with depression and I was getting so low, I was thinking, you know what, I'm not even, I'm not sure if I want to be here anymore. That was that bad. And I'm still on stage speaking in front of thousands of people at festivals and inside I'm dying. And I thought, this is nuts. I can't carry on like this. And then I came across this image called Kintsugi, um, which is the name of our new charity. And you probably know that if you break a pot, you're meant to mend it with superglue. And the whole idea is you hide the cracks, pretend it's not broken. And uh, what they do in Japan is they put a gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. Arguably, the object becomes more beautiful than it was before. It certainly becomes more unique. You'll never find a pot like that on planet Earth now. And, uh, and God was saying, you know what? Beauty comes from brokenness. You don't have to pretend that uh, actually the gold is me pouring in my love and my compassion. And that a scar is a place of healing. I have so many scars over my body because I've had lots of operations. And actually a scar is a place of healing. It's where God does so much work with us. And... Uh, and so I was really fascinated about this whole thing around Kintsugi, and we were telling people at school, have you heard of this thing called Susie? And they're like, oh, the gold thing. And I was like, yeah, the gold thing. And, uh, and then people in the playground, just mums, non-Christians, were like, I totally get it, I'm broken. My husband's left. I'm in debt. My husband had an affair. Yeah, I'm broken. My kid was stabbed. I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm struggling with mental health. I haven't told anyone. And there's a woman in our kitchen who was like, I'm an alcoholic. Could I come to one of your Kintsugi Hope groups? We started this like 12-week course looking at brokenness. And we're like, yeah, of course you can. In fact, 
um, our small group, which we run this with, has trebled in size um, since running this course that we've written. And it's all through non-Christians coming. And you know, it's beautiful because it's not them and us. There's just us. We're not the rescuer. We're not there to fix them. We're there to love them and communicate the love of Jesus. We pray. We do all this stuff. We're not hiding it. But it just feels a little bit more human. And uh, anyway, this is a little video which we couldn't show in the first service for technical reasons. Um, it's 90 seconds, and it's me and my friend talking about some of our challenges. My youngest son, Nathaniel, was at a friend's house. There was a confrontation with a boy that turned up and decided that he'd take a knife and stab Nathaniel with it. I feel like that that time I was in a bubble and feeling alone and not even knowing how to articulate that to anyone. I had to have major limb reconstruction surgery. Around the same time, my daughter got a condition called HSP and my dad got cancer. It was like a perfect storm of things going wrong. And I realised that the anxiety was really taking root in my life. And then you realise that actually you can't just carry on and you need to show some self-compassion. Bereavement is different for everyone. What's really important is that people are able to talk to someone that they can connect with. And through that, there's a real good healing process. And actually maybe receiving help is letting go of your pride and saying, I am really broken. And as we share in our brokenness, we share in our common humanity. The brokenness is my heart and it's in pieces. But through time, it's starting to come together again. You know, the Psalms, 40% of the Psalms are laments. You know that. I'm not sure 40% of our worship songs are laments. And, uh, you know, they're like David crying out. And the lament will have like four stages to it. It normally says, you know what, I'm forgotten. Um, life's not going to plan. Um, I'm hurt. But I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I'm going to trust no matter what happens. And uh, that is what a lament is. And it's David being really, really honest and really, really real. You know, Ernest Hemingway says this, the world breaks everyone and after many are broken at the strong places. We need to let go of the pretend smile. For me, the second key thing was about letting go of anxiety. Now, when I was writing this book, um, I have to read all the psychology books and all the theolo um, theology books. And I think a lot about storytelling and how to communicate this well. And, and when it got to the anxiety thing, I was really struggling because a lot of the books were very technical. You know, we all know about fight or flight and all this sort of stuff. But I thought, like, I don't really know if that describes anxiety for me. So then I started reading people's blogs, which was fascinating. And uh, I remember reading a blog around anxiety and, and I just started to pull out some of the things that people were describing around anxiety. I mean, see if any of you can relate to anything like this. It says, anxiety is your brain not being able to turn off. It's the unanswered text message that kills us inside. Especially WhatsApp, right? Because you can tell they've read it. <laughs> that really annoys me. I'm, not, I'm just going to put that out there. It believes every negative scenario that you come up with. It's the inaccurate conclusions drawn as your mind takes off and you have no choice to follow its lead. It's apologizing for things that don't require you to say sorry. Who's done that one? I'm so sorry. Why are you saying sorry? It's not your fault. 
I'm sorry anyway. <laughs> it's the fear of failure and striving for perfection. And then beating yourself up when you don't get there. It tells you you're wrong, they don't like you. It's constantly asking the what if questions. I did this a couple of months ago in a big church in Ipswich. The senior pastor came up and went, you know that list? Every single one. <laughs> well, I quite enjoyed that integrity. But when I was looking at it, I guess I just couldn't quite get the definition that I wanted. And, and anxiety is different things to different people. I get that. But for me, this was the best definition that I could come up with. And it says this, more than anything else, anxiety is caring. It's never wanting to hurt someone's feelings. It's never wanting to do something wrong. More than anything, it's the want and the need to be accepted and like, so you try too hard sometimes. You try too hard sometimes. Because people that suffer from anxiety are normally beautiful, sensitive, caring people. That's who they are. They just care too much sometimes. And you know what? If you suffer from anxiety, you will know this. That when people come up to you and go, are you suffering from anxiety? You just need to trust in God more. And you're like, I never thought of that. I'm really glad that you <laughs> pointed that out to me. Thank you so much. You know, it's a bit annoying, isn't it? It is a bit annoying after a while. And you know people aren't trying to be mean. And, uh, but the thing is, is we've got to let go. I like these little cartoons. Um, uh, anxiety. What if nobody likes me? What if I taste weird? What if I'm cold? What if I'm too hot? What if I am just right and I can never live up to it again? The pearls of overthinking. Oh my goodness, how about these? What have I done? You know, um, am I good enough? Um, what do people think of me? Am I doing this right? Everyone's staring at me. Does anyone else sometimes think some of those things about yourself? It's really crazy, right? But yeah, how does God deal with these people in the prophet, through prophet Isaiah? Um, well, if you read the first part of the chapter, he says, you know what? I formed you. I love you. You are honored and precious in my sight. He talks about, it's like a love letter. Because to beat anxiety, you need to learn to accept uncertainty. And now we're in a really uncertain place. So the question is, is what do you need to let go of in order to be, in order to be free? And the second key thing is letting go of the clock. Um, I think, why go slow when you can go fast? You know, I, I just don't do that. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. And, I, you know, I'm talking about honesty over silence. And uh, so it's going to be a really tough question, but we're in church, and I want you to be really honest and really real with me. God is watching. <laughs> you all look absolutely terrified. Are you ready? I have everyone's attention in the room. Who here, be honest, has ever been on a speed awareness course? Please put your hand really high. Really high up, please, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that's amazing. Look around, everyone. Get your iPhones out. This is a really good <laughs> opportunity. Wow, that's incredible. What are you guys like? And anyone been on the Speed Awareness course twice? Oh, fans. Two fans. That is brilliant. Three times? Oh, not yet. <laughs> Do not get a lift home with this gentleman. Um, that's fantastic. What do you do, sir? <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but the thing is, why go slow when you can go fast? 
And you could go and said this, Joseph waited 13 years, Abraham waited 25 years, Moses waited 40 years, Jesus waited 30 years. If God's making you wait, you're in good company. I think that word about dreams was fantastic this morning about Joseph. And, uh, and I think that I've recognised, because I used to do a lot of, in sort of the youth speaking sphere, that I love it when churches put a lot of emphasis on young people, but I'm really conscious that I go to churches and I see people um, who are more mature, you know, and uh, older in years and have so much wisdom and so much integrity and they feel God's forgotten them. They feel looked over. They feel like the dream's gone. And I feel like I want to say if that you're in that place, actually God hasn't forgotten you. The dream's not gone. We don't get why life goes like that, right? It hasn't gone. And we need to move on. We need to let go of the pain and the resentment and the hurt and we need to keep going. Let go so you can be something else. And the third thing that I feel like we should let go of is shame. We need to let go of shame. Now, um, this is where the talk's going to go a little bit awar now. Um, because when I was sitting there during worship, I felt God say to me, um, you've really got to talk about shame. And, uh, and I was going to mention it a little bit, but not really talk about it much. But like God really said, you know, we've got to look at this. Because shame has two voices. Shame says this. Who do you think it are, and you're not enough? And if we're going to dream big, if we're going to start seeing God do stuff, what do you think are the two voices that you're going to hear if you're going to start dreaming big? Who do you think it are, and you're not enough? Shame, Brené Brown famously says, shame loves silence, secrecy, and judgment. The way we step out of shame is we start to own our story. We start to own our story, say, this is who I am, because God accepts us for who we are. Um, a couple of years ago now, we at XLP, we had a visit from Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I hope you caught that name as it dropped there. <laughs> and um, he came to our bus project, and I was really nervous about him coming to our bus project for a number of reasons, because he was coming at 10 o'clock in the morning, now, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the kids that I worked with were either in bed or in school. And uh, so I said to my youth workers, get round the estate, go and make sure they're up in time. So they wandered round the estate, they're like, you've got to come, Desmond Tutu's coming. And my young people were like, ooh. <laughs> like, Desmond Tutu is really famous. How old's he? He's 81, but does that matter? Where's he from? He's from South Africa. And they're like, you're telling me I've got to get up to see some 81-year-old bloke from South Africa I've never heard of. And I was saying to my youth workers, say to them, have they heard of Nelson Mandela? So they're like, have you heard of Nelson Mandela? They're like, yeah, of course I've heard of Nelson Mandela. He's the next best thing. He's the next best He's got bling and everything. You're going to love him. He's fantastic. And, uh, and then um, they all come. And more out of respect for us than knowing who Desmond Tutu was. And Desmond Tutu was coming with Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland and human rights commissioner to the UN, but we didn't even bother explaining who she was. Um, <laughs> no offence. And, uh, and so Desmond Tutu, he comes and he jumps out of his taxi. And you know how sometimes lovely old people, they come and they grab your hand and then they don't let go for ages. Is anyone else? And then you don't quite know what to do. It's awkward. You're like, get off. Well, Desmond Tutu, he jumped out of his little taxi. He grabbed my hand. All the young people are basically looking at me. I'm on the bus. Um, 
And he just, we just walk hand in hand <laughs> all the way to the bus. And we get there and we start having this discussion. And, uh, and I'm sort of like, go on, Desmond, give it to them. You know, tell them about real poverty. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, that was pretty cool. Tell them about that. He just listens. I'm like, yeah, I like listening. That's great. Now tell them about poverty. And he listens. And then at the end, he goes, you know what? You guys need to know this. Your past doesn't have to define your future. And then he gets this kid and he grabs the hand. And he goes, I'll tell you what you are. And the kid that he grabs, you know, I don't know if you've ever done youth work or anything, there's always one kid in the youth group who you think, please don't ever talk to that kid, don't grab his hand, <laughs> don't do anything. Um, he grabbed that kid's hand. I could see all my youth workers going. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I'll tell you what you are. You are a VSP, very special person. You're made in the image of God. You have the potential to change this world. And to be honest, the story wasn't one of those stories that he became a Christian and everything was wonderful. He did go around the estate uh, for a while and go, Desmond Tutu spoke to me. Uh, got his hair cut, got his CV sorted, but he still got hassles. And, you know, but it was a moment. All the other kids still didn't know Desmond Tutu was. They were like, oh, it's really nice for Trevor McDonald to come down and... Uh, <clears throat> really like Trev, he's great. And, and the thing was... There was a moment, because me and Desmond Tutu, I mean, bizarrely, we had to um, go and speak at an event together, which was incredibly intimidating, I'm not going to lie. He's, I, I was speaking, and he's sitting on stage interrupting me most of the time. And, uh, but we got this moment together, and I've told this story a few times. And in this moment, he said something, and for about four or five years, when I told this story, I lied. You're never going to invite me back, Right. And uh, I said that Desmond said to me, XLP, the charity that I founded and started, make God smile. Never said that. Lied. I lied in front of three or 4,000 people in big meetings. Desmond Tutu said this, Patrick, you make God smile. But you know what? I couldn't accept it. Shame makes us hide away from who we really are. It keeps things secret. Why do we feel ashamed? Why do we feel ashamed about talking about mental health as much as emotional health and physical health? We all have poor physical health. I've got a bad finger. I've got bad back. I've got bad knees. Um, I'm happy to talk about that. But my anxiety, I'm not so keen on that. And then you look at this list. Is this true? The sufferer gets blamed. The sufferer gets told to get over it. The sufferer is told, stop attention seeking. The sufferer is told they're weak and they're lazy. The sufferer is told it's a choice. You see, some disabilities look like this, and others look like this. We need to let go of shame and stigma. You've got to let, wherever there was shame, wherever there was stigma, bang, that's where Jesus was. He just wouldn't tolerate it. Women, children, tax collectors, prostitutes, that's where he was. Step out of shame. You step out of shame by owning your story. Because stuff happens. I meet a lot of people that are just angry. You know, in the first service, we talked about letting go of anger, and I was saying that anger is an emotional response to pain. Anger's not wrong, you know? And I was saying, don't let anger become a resident, but let it become a visitor, because a visitor says something's wrong. You suppress your anger, you're in trouble. That's why Ecclesiastes talks about don't let anger reside, or do not let, you know, in your anger, do not sin, Ephesians. We've got to step out of shame. 
Um, I'm going to finish with... Uh, what am I going to do? God, please tell me what to do. That would be really helpful right now. Winnie the Pooh, the famous theologian, says this. <laughs> Don't walk beside me, I may not lead. Don't walk in front of me, I may not follow. Just walk beside me and be my friend. Forget the former things. What do you need to let go of in order to be? What do you need to let go of in order to be? To be more authentic. Um, anyone here seen the film The Great Showman? Put your hand up. Wow, that's, that's the biggest response I've had for anything. <laughs> and uh, The Great Showman, for the two people that haven't seen it, um, basically um, tells the story of P.T. Barnum. True story. And, uh, and I didn't really want to go and see this film because everyone was going to see it, you know, so I was being, like, stubborn about it. And, uh, but I have kids, so I have no control over anything, so now I've seen it twice. And, uh, and I didn't want to go and see it because I didn't want um, to see Wolverine singing. I sort of feel like that's wrong. I feel like, you know when Piers Brosnan sang in Mamma Mia? you like, James Bond singing, it's wrong. Piers Brosnan should never be allowed to sing. And... Uh, but I got persuaded, and uh, it's a fascinating film because basically this guy, he loves his kids, he loves his wife, he sets up a museum to try and get them out of poverty, it's a complete disaster. And uh, so then what he does is he goes to the misfits and the marginalised and the broken, and uh, those that are too tall and those that are too small and those that are too large and the famous bearded lady, and, uh, and he creates this show and he creates this sense of belonging, and I've often said to church leaders, that um, fitting in and belonging are two different things, right? Um, that sometimes we ask people to fit in and actually what they want is to belong. And somehow he creates this sense of belonging, but like all of us, he wants, you know, there's this craving for more success. And, uh, and so he gets his opera singer who's amazing, and suddenly the marginalised, they have to sit in the cheap seats again. They're not allowed into the after-show party. And, uh, and so it was an incredible film. And when I was going through this really, really rough time after I left XLP, and I was probably in my lowest of my low, I woke up one morning and Diane is watching a, a, a film on YouTube on her phone. I'm like, you're worse than the kids, what are you doing? And, uh, and it wasn't um, from the film, um, it was the rehearsal, like the big rehearsal, where they'd all got together to find out um, if it's going to be made. You know, Hugh Jackman was there, they were all there, everyone was really nervous. And then the lady who was playing the bearded lady, she was basically um, describing how she was behind this music stand and she was so scared of coming out um, from behind the music stand. She was just so intimidated because the whole song she was singing is This Is Me. You know, it's about not letting shame sink in. It's about saying, let's march to a bit different drum. And uh, so she said the whole time she just stood behind the music stand. And then in the film, it's incredible, there's this one moment and she puts the music stand, and she walks into the middle, and she still looks absolutely terrified. And then she turns around to her backing singers, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a sense that you're not alone, you're in community, we're here with you. But then she turns around, and like she's like a different woman. She like owns the song. This is me. I am not going to let the shame sink in anymore. And it's a little bit like heaven comes to earth, you know, one of those moments um, which you can't ever plan if you tried, could you? And, uh, and she just keeps going for it. And I was watching this and in bed and uh, I'm not wanting to like it. And I felt God said, Patrick, it's time to step away from the music stand. Stop worrying about what everyone else thinks of you. It's time to let go of shame. 
that shame that says you're not enough and who do you think you are. It's time to let go of trying to people please, trying to be everything to everyone because you're scared of hurting anyone's feelings. It's time to let go of anxiety, of caring too much. Anxiety is like a car alarm. You know, we need it. Car alarms are helpful. If it's going off all the time, it's annoying for us and for everyone else. <laughs> let go. And so I'm like completely and utterly floored by this thing. And, uh, and then, in the middle of the song, I don't know, she has a wobble. Because being vulnerable is scary, right? And sometimes you have a bit of a wobble. And, uh, and so she goes over to Huge Jackman. I like to call him Huge Jackman. And uh, she grabs his hand. She don't grab for long. She grabs his hand, and then she goes again. Isn't that beautiful? That sometimes you just need to grab God's hand or grab the person next to your hand and go again. Because I'll tell you what we need, and this is the crux of the message. We need you just to be more you. Made in the image of God. There's this word um, which um, we've been using called flawsome. Um, my PA sent it to me, and we thought um, it's a made-up word, surely. Um, Googled it. It's a real word. It means this. An individual who embraces their flaws and knows they are um, awesome regardless. You are so loved. You need to be more compassionate. You know, self-compassion and self-indulgence are two different things. Self-compassion takes discipline. Self-compassion and being selfish, two different things. Self-compassion and self-esteem, two different things. And that's why that, that chapter in that book, I've had more emails about that, is where people start to realise, actually, man, God's put some stuff in me. I didn't think I could tell you the story. Um, I felt convicted. I wasn't going to show you this film. Um, but I know Alex has been faffing around at the back trying to get all my slides <laughs> and various talks in order. Um, so why don't we just hopefully check this out. Benjamin and Justin have just written this new song called This Is Me. And uh, we knew that it was going to be the anthem of the film, um, but no one had heard it before. And no one had heard Kiala sing it live. A Kiala who I didn't even want to come out from behind the music stand. I didn't. I, I kept saying to her, just step out, because this is your moment, and you have to step out into the ring, metaphorically, because that's what you're doing, and you had to stand right there in front of everyone and just belt this out. And I didn't want to. In fact, I stood behind that music stand yeah. until the day of that presentation. There was a moment in the song that I actually was so scared that I had to actually grab Hugh's hand so that I had somebody to hold on to. And then we got to the end of the number, and all I remember is just deafening, deafening applause. It was a sort of otherworldly experience. It was one of those moments that will stay with me the rest of my life. Unfortunately, we filmed it.
I have a confession to make. Um, so, um, so the Honesty Over Silence book, we've turned it into a little bit of a tour and we go around different churches and we always finish with that. And, uh, and so what I do is, um, instead of sitting there watching it, I always sit here watching you guys because it's hilarious. <laughs> because what tends to happen is the lady comes out and then you all start doing this at the same time. And then, when she turns around, it's literally, you, it's, it's absolutely comedy. I just, I need to film it. You all go. <laughs> and then you go. <laughs> and then, you know the whole hand grabbing thing? Then you're like, oh my goodness, I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm crying. Can the person next to me see I'm crying, but I'm still laughing? This is a weird emotion stuff going on here. And what is this guy on? <laughs> You are so flawsome, you are so loved, but you need to step away from the music stand. You need to step away from the music stand. And, you know, what's church? Church, we need to create safe and supportive spaces. If you feel safe and feel supported, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Belonging and fitting in, two different things. You need to let go. You need to let go. I'm going to pray. Um, does anyone feel like God's speaking to them about some of this stuff? Um, today, and uh, I guess, you know, I said this at a meeting, you know, the mental health stuff, it, it affects all of us, and I think like sometimes we have to break the shame in that, um, and uh, some of it, it affects more than others, sometimes the physical stuff affects more than others, um, but sometimes we just need to step out of that shame, and, uh, and just feel free and safe, and to do this. So I, I'm just going to like step out myself now and just be really brave. I'm not going to make a big thing of it. But if you know God's speaking to you this morning about stepping out of shame, um, if you know it may not be mental health, it may be some, your kids aren't going on well with God and it's, you find it embarrassing. It really affects you, actually. It may be um, some relationship stuff. But if you know that maybe God's speaking to you this morning, could you just really simply, in a completely unhyped way, just stand where you are right now? pray in a sec but if you're sitting there and you know the whole anxiety thing's kicking in for you right now you let me say this you will never hear any other preacher say this if you don't stand up i don't i don't mind but i i don't want you to go away feeling gutted but actually if you do go away feeling gutted god's not going to beat you up about it anyway so so it's cool but i just want to offer you a chance if you're there and you know that you struggle with your mental health and you want to step out of shame and you want to just say that this is me now's your moment Now's your moment. Phil, why don't you come? And we've got the worship guys around as well. That would be great. I just, I'm going to pray and hand over to Phil and let him do the ministry stuff because I don't know how you guys do it. But, um, but you know what? I want to say to you guys, it's okay not to be okay. 
and I want you to all look at me if you can. Um, I know that's quite hard, but I want you to know how actually you have so much to offer. You really do. And uh, the lies that say that you're not good, you're not enough, and who do you think you are, that's what we really want to break off you today. And I get that that breaking it off is a daily thing as well. Uh, this is no magic wand thing. This is allowing the Spirit of God to come and to minister into your life and your situation. And, uh, and so I want to be really respectful and really gentle in the way that I pray. And uh, because I actually know most of you are probably doing the best that you can. And the last thing you need is some smart addict preacher asking you to try harder. Because it doesn't work, right? That's what the flesh is, really. You look at Galatians. It was like Paul saying, stop doing it that way. Rest in me. Rest in who Christ is. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for these beautiful, beautiful human beings. Lord, I want to thank you for all the different stuff that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I do pray that today would be a moment. I pray it would be a moment, Lord, where they just start to feel more loved, more accepted, Lord God. That it wouldn't just be about the feelings. Their feelings are important, but there'd be something that just clicks for them, Lord God. And Lord, that we would remove the shame and the stigma. And Lord God, where people are struggling, we want to uh, get alongside and... Uh, and be friends, Lord God. We don't want to fix people, Lord God, in a way that's unhelpful. But Father God, I pray that you would pour in the glue, that you'd pour in. But do something beautiful, Jesus, we pray. That help us discover treasure in life's scars. Lord, as we step out of shame, I pray there'd be a real release of who we are in you. We love you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.